Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. That's right, we are officially in the double digits now, episode 10. I'm sitting in my back patio. The temperature is actually nice, there's a little breeze. It's not the 90 and 100 degree weather we've been having here. It actually feels like fall. Today on the show, we are going to be talking to a good buddy of mine, Scott Merrill. He teaches eighth grade algebra. He's a father of two daughters. He is recently engaged. He's inching up on 50. And he, kind of like me, rediscovered the outdoors later in life. Specifically, he got very involved in canyoneering. He and I got together in his backyard in Lancaster with his two dogs, talked about his life. So in this interview, because we know each other pretty well, we started to talk about things that maybe the audience wouldn't be familiar with a few times. We tried to explain those things as best as possible when they arose, but there are a few times that maybe we didn't. So a few people you're going to hear referenced in this episode are mutual friends of ours, Alden, Klaus, and Carl. Klaus already appeared in episode two. He's the local canyoneering instructor in Chatsworth who runs Uber Adventures. So if you go back to episode two and listen to that, that's who we were talking about. Some of you may know that Go Get Outside began as a video web series. And if you go to the website, gogetoutside.com, you can watch those videos. One of those videos was about canyoneering. Alden was the person featured in that video, and he's a mutual friend of Scott Nice. So we make a few references to that video and to Alden. That's who we're talking about. We also make references to Carl, who appeared in the caving video of Go Get Outside and who will be in episode 12 of this podcast. He used to run a company called Extreme Things that had an outdoor adventure club. I was a member of that club years ago, and that is how I got into the outdoors. And so that is what we're talking about when we mention that. You also may notice an offhand reference to Repel Camp at some point during this interview. It is not an actual camp. It is a term I created for the photographs that people tend to take when they first get into canyoneering, where they stand at the top of rappel and they smile and pose for the camera as if they're taking their high school graduation photos or a family picture picnic. It's great. We all do it. I have photos like that. I just always find them kind of amusing. And with that, let's get to Scott Merrill. teach eighth grade uh, math. This is my 24th year. I have two kids, uh, two daughters, and uh, I'm recently divorced, but I'm recently engaged. <laughs> so you're predominantly a canyoneer, right? You would consider yourself predominantly a canyoneer? Yeah, and, I would and say. probably a hiker also? Um, I actually recently, because of my kids, I've been thinking about hiking more because they're not really into canyoneering. And, yeah, I would say predominantly my sport of choice, yeah, would be canyoneering. Um, But because of my kids, I definitely uh, have been thinking more about hiking and because they're not into it. Although my my littlest one, I can see her liking it, and we've done some things, and she's six. But my oldest is not. And that causes kind of a problem because we want to do things together. And uh, hiking, I think, is something that's easily accessible by both of them or by all of us. And uh, also my fiancé is not really into canyoneering either. So, But, so luck- but luckily you know like 85 
people who are. Yeah. <laughs> There's well, no shortage of people. You exactly. Know yeah. And you know, and that list is growing, which is just awesome. I've met the best people that I've ever met in my life in canyoneering. That's the honest truth. So how did you get into canyoneering in the first place? How did you find it? Because it's not a sport most people have heard of. As a matter of fact, you may even want to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how I would uh, describe canyoneering is a conglomerate between hiking and swimming and climbing, rappelling, packaged together. It's like all these adventure sports put into one. It's not just one thing. There's so many different aspects, which I think that's what appeals actually to a lot of people is the idea of the diversity of the terrains. You know, you can have completely dry canyons. You can have completely wet canyons. You can have a a mixture of the two. Fantastic, beautiful, open canyons, and you can have these really narrow slotty canyons that are kind of like caves you know so there's there's like caving involved you know in in a sense too it's like being in a cave alden would refer to it as a multifaceted adventure (laughs) i'm sure he had an acronym for it too (laughs) he he didn't but i guess mfa (laughs) could be the new acronym multifaceted Um, adventure i know how i got into it i don't know what the appeal was to be quite honest i had always wanted to be part of the outdoors i really enjoy the outdoors but for some reason it just wasn't uh, something that i felt that i knew enough people to really be part of i knew nobody who did it my whole life i followed kind of a traditional path of you know i like sports and uh, basketball was my favorite sport, and I liked uh, playing baseball, and I, w- I would follow along those traditional lines. In fact, early in my career, I did some coaching, eighth grade basketball coach, and then I was a high school basketball coach, and I did that for several years. And I thought that's what I really wanted to do, to be part of something active. It turned out to be quite the opposite. I don't know, well, I, I know why I didn't follow kind of that path. It's because I didn't have anybody in my life that, that did those things. And it's very difficult. This is pre-internet. I'm old. You're 86 <laughs> as of yesterday, right? Yeah, it's oil of Olay. That's what I tell my students. <laughs> I keep it nice and supple. He's not actually 86, right. yeah. by the way. He's, I'm 49. he's 90. He's 90. Yeah, 49. I mean, the internet is really what got me into this sport. Before that, and we had had this conversation, but I'll, I'll repeat it. We, we didn't have this conversation on tape. On tape. Or no. on so now SD we're on card. Yeah, we'll as, have it. As it would be now. I've always wanted to do backpacking or do something like that. Like uh, the John Muir Trail or something like that. I've always wanted to do things. And whenever we would go on vacation as a family, I'd always seek out uh, minor adventures to do. We would go to Yosemite and, hey, I want let's, let's climb Vernal Falls. You know, let's go up Vernal Falls. Let's uh, get to the top there. You know, and I'd take my kids up there and my ex-wife did not like any of that. And any time we went somewhere, I always wanted to do something like that. So part it's of... Like the dog fell asleep. Yeah, well, he's... <laughs> he he's going to snore it up. <laughs> he snores. So, uh, well, that wasn't my flatulence. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it was one of the rubs that was in my previous relationship. I like to do stuff like that. I remember one of my first adventures, I, I saw a documentary on uh, Half Dome. I was like, man, I really want to do that. So a buddy of mine, we went and uh, did Half Dome in a day, and it was like one of the best things ever. I was it's a hell of a hike, though. Uh, yeah, and I went from basically, I was it was a, a summer of slothness. I was... I was a sloth sitting on a couch watching golf. 
back then I was a, probably a little overweight, and uh, we just let's go do this. And, and you went straight to Half Dome. That's how you straight, started. So you yes. went straight to 18 miles with yeah, how, was yeah, it, like five thousand. It's like five thousand yeah, elevation it's, gain. It's, yeah, it's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I didn't have the gear or nothing. I mean, these hiking shoes. I got a big five, and I was wearing my Jansport backpack and loaded it with water bottles. And I just remember those things poking into my back and. I actually destroyed those shoes on that trip, but it was like the best trip ever. I think about that a lot, about how much fun we had on that trip, just the two of us. And, and that's what kind of spurred me to kind of think about things that I would like to do uh, kind of adventure-wise. And, you know, the interesting thing is right around that time is the same time that Aaron Ralston had his accident in, uh, in Lower Blue John uh, in Robber's Roost. And uh, I remember watching the uh, documentary. Uh, well, first I remember hearing about it and thinking, wow, what an amazing thing. Yeah, and for people who don't know offhand that name, he's the guy who 127 Hours is about, the guy who got pinned beneath a boulder and had to cut off his own arm. Right. I remember hearing about the story. Then I saw the documentary, and Tom Brokaw, NBC News, had done a documentary on A year after Aaron Ralston, they took Aaron Ralston back. Um, and he hadn't been back there. So they took him back there, and uh, it was just his account. Now, this is way before 127 hours. This right. is like probably 12 years ago. I took him through there, and I just remember watching them go through the canyon, and it's a slot canyon. Uh, the canyon comes out on this, you know, this 90-foot rappel that overlooks another canyon that heads off and it, it just looks so beautiful and I was like wow what an amazing place and I wasn't thinking about the danger that was there You're like, oh I can't wait to go cut off my arm right exactly experience I wasn't thinking about that I was thinking about uh, how beautiful it would be just to be there and it seemed like you know something that a lot of people don't do and a place where a lot of people don't go and that really appealed to me but I didn't know how I was going to get there and no idea how I was going to make that happen. So I remember getting on uh, Google and I called my friend who I did half dome with and I said, we need to go to this place. I want to go to Lower Blue John. Let's, let's see if we can make it here. And I said, the only thing we're going to have to worry about is this rappel at the end, which I don't know how to rappel. One rappel into the canyon, but the rest of it's, you know, stemming and, and just kind of getting through the canyon itself. So I told him, I go, well, we could teach ourselves. We could do this, you know, just thinking just dumb, you know, dumb things. So I actually planned out just from where I saw in the pictures uh, of the video, which I watched the video several times. I went on Google uh, Google Earth and I planned out the route to get there. I knew where he had parked his truck, so I knew that was the exit. <laughs> I have no idea where the beginning was. Actually, my idea was uh, to follow a route that I, I have no idea if the route would have worked or not. It might still be on Google Earth because I did plan a route there. But I was telling my friend, he's like, you're crazy. We're not, I can't do that. 90, I'm not doing a 90-foot rappel. Not knowing really mentally what a 90-foot rappel even looked like, right. to be quite honest. And at the beginning, 90-foot is pretty substantial. Yeah, yeah. Once, once it, you've done a fair amount, it doesn't seem like such right. a big and deal. And actually, having, having done it, it's not an easy start either. It's kind of a difficult start, and there's a free hang involved. And I didn't have the a gear or the equipment or even any clue at what I needed in order to accomplish that goal which is kind of where it all started. I'm not a person who jumps into things 
kind of haphazardly. I'm just not. I'm a very measured person, and uh, maybe that's the engineer in me. But um, so I decided that, okay, well, this isn't a good plan, and what I need to do is find people who do this. I know people are doing it, so I need to find them somehow. But the Internet at the time wasn't very mature. It was very uh, sporadic. Uh, you, it's kind of like a needle in a haystack finding anything. Um, like you had said, you'd found your group, which I kind of wish I'd found that group. Yeah. You know, but I was being more. Uh, I was had a very narrow focus, whereas you had a, a wide swath. You were like any adventure, I'm in, and I would be too. I would have totally been in that group if I had been thinking about that. I may have searched for that, and who knows? Maybe that. Uh, your friend Carl's site would have it came up maybe at one point, but I just kind of discarded it because it had it was multifaceted. It had <laughs> it had uh, like everything. You didn't know you were in, into MFAs right. yet, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's a term now. We've right. coined it. There it is. It's going to stick. It's like repel camp. It's sticking around. Right. I started uh, by searching for uh, canyoneering, and I found uh, the ATS. Uh, the Alpine Training School. So I signed up. They had two classes. They had one in the Sierras and they had one in the LA area. So I had kids. So I wasn't going to the Sierra. And these were three-day courses. So I wasn't going to the Sierras for three days. I, was, I had too much daddy guilt to do something like that. So I signed up for the LA classes. And I didn't even know where they were, uh, to be quite honest. And this was uh, two years before I started canyoneering. Every year they would cancel the class in, in Los Angeles. Because they didn't have anybody signing up for the class. But they had classes up in the Sierra, so people were going up there, which makes sense because of the water. And people are usually looking for waterfalls and, and want to be part of the water and all of that. Whereas me, the water was not really the draw. I like uh, I like dry canyons. I like them. I like slot canyons. One of the first canyons I ever did was before I canyoneered was Antelope Canyon, which is out there in uh, Lake Powell. And it's on Indian land, and it's a very commercial can canyon. In fact, it's the most ph photographed canyon in the world. And uh, right, right, I remember. I know the one you're talking about. Right. Yeah, once you say that, right, and that, it's that one shot. Yeah, 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 and it's very beautiful. And uh, you know, was able to take the family out there and everything, and uh, I loved it. Uh, so when I came back, so Al Al Alpine Training School cancels classes. So I tried twice, and I remember you know getting phone calls from somebody. Uh, an Alpine training school. I was wondering if it was ever like Dave or, you know, some of the other guys that we know now. And um, they said, you know, sorry, and, you know, nobody signed up for the class. And so I basically wasted like two years trying to, because this was the only part of that search that was coming up was ATS. Right? Yeah, and I, I used to go out, I went out with them my first couple of canyons. But the difference was it was I was part of that outdoor group of Carl's, right. and he would organize it, and we'd have a group of people. So mm -hmm. we were guaranteed because we had a dozen people right. going. So once ACS kind of, uh, I could see that was not going to be an option. Uh, I was searching uh, one year and uh, a couple years ago, and uh, the meetup came up. Klaus's meetup for Uber Adventures came up. And, um, Except it wasn't called Uber Adventures yet, right? It was like Southern California Canyoneering. <laughs> yeah, I think like that's that what it was. Yeah, yeah, Southern California Canyoneering, yeah. Uh, so his meetup came up, and I was like, awesome. And the first, his first class that I remember, and I think this was his actual first class, was in Moab. The class was in Moab. Then they were going to Robber's Roost, 
after that. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the perfect marriage. You learn, then they're going exactly where I wanted to go, into Robber's Roost, and they probably were going to do Lower Blue John. So I was like, oh, I've got to do this. I'm going to do this. Now my ex-wife, not happy that I wanted to do this. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this. But it turned out that it was really bad timing. I think it was like the first week of school. You can't have a sub on the first week of school. It's just not going to set your year up very nicely. So I could not do it. I believe it was in September that they were going. I, I signed up for the class. I remember emailing Klaus and getting, I'm, I'm going. I'm just going to find some way to go. And it was a really good price. And I really had no knowledge about, you know, once I get out there, you know, what I'm gonna, how I'm going to camp or how I'm going to do all this stuff that's out there. I just, I don't care. I'm just going to figure it out. So when I couldn't go, I was really disappointed. And I didn't know, I, I figured Klaus would set more classes, but I didn't know that he had a plan of setting more classes. He had another class, I believe, that was in October. I signed up for that class. And then something happened. I can't remember what it was, but I could not take that class. And then I started feeling really bad because I would sign up for the class and then I had to cancel in right. Klaus. And you didn't want to be one of those guys. Right. right? I didn't. Yeah. I, you know, in fact, there were several emails that I sent to Klaus like, I am not a flake. Right. I am not that guy. I, I am committed and I want to do this. Knowing Klaus now, I know he didn't think that. He's just, you know, people right. come in and out all the time. You know, he was just trying to get something going. But I felt really bad that I had to cancel the first uh, two. I was able to sign up for the next one, which I believe was in like early November. Got it all signed up, and there were actually several times where I was like, am I doing the right thing? Because, you know, I've been watching the Ralston video every year in my class. I, sh I show it in my class. In fact, I'm getting ready to show it again this year. I always show you like to scare the crap out of kids. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I thought at the time, although my opinion has changed since then, at the time I thought it was a really good message that kids should hear, which is uh, your troubles that you have right now, like I teach algebra, right? So your algebraic troubles, they're little gnats that you can flick off of your, if you wanted to. If you made it in your life that you wanted to conquer algebra, you could do it very easily. It's this little gnat that you can just, right? And I think that no matter how tough you think something is or you're in a situation that you don't believe that you can get out of, you don't know your power. You have no idea what your power. And for 11, 12, and 13-year-olds, this is, a, uh, uh, I think, a powerful message because they don't know the power that they have. You know, you, as, a, as a human, you have power. You just have to access that power. And so I thought it was a really good message that this guy was in an impossible situation and he got himself out. And he did the unthinkable, something that you think you would never be able to do. And so I thought it was a powerful message for kids. And at the time, n my kids never knew about this story. It wasn't mainstream news. And they were too young when it happened to begin with. So they didn't know about it. The movie since then has made it a little bit more. But still, it's a, a movie that's really inappropriate uh, for kids of that age. And uh, just for some of the content. But um, some of the kids have seen it, but still they don't know. And even the real story is kind of interesting for them as well. And the kids really enjoy it. And so I, you know, I had this, you know, you have this idea that it's dangerous, right? That it's adventurous. 
And I remember when I signed up for the class and then I actually had to go, I had second thoughts about, is this something that I really wanted to do? Because it was scary. I never repelled except I did the, that cavern, and that scared the crap out of me when I did the moaning cavern, which is 120 foot in darkness. You know, you, have a, you had a J-rack that you were using. It wasn't, you know, a rappel device or anything. It was this big J-rack. that, And you basically, you could hang there. Yeah, I assume that was guided, so someone was helping you with the process. There was somebody up top, but you were in charge. You did everything. But the J-rack had so much friction. Right. Right? So you're just, you had to literally shove the rope through to move at all. And it was actually very difficult to do. So I was was, uh, apprehensive when I went. Uh, to Klaus's class. And uh, I remember um, the first class. So it used to be a three-day course. And uh, so the first day we would meet in Griffith Park. And he had this little area that he had down by the baseball field there and that he'd had. And I, you know, I'm getting in my car on a Friday night and I'm heading down to see, I don't know who this is. Yeah, I remember you saying you were kind of right, like Yeah, it's like the Craigslist thing you know you don't know who I'm showing up to see this is just some guy you know and I'm showing up you know and he's going to teach me some dangerous stuff and I don't even know if this guy is certified I don't even know what certified means right so I don't know what knowledge this guy has but I'm going down there to size him up basically and and the Klaus kind of has a bad first impression I mean he had his mohawk you know (laughs) he just looks like you know something at a road warrior you know and I I remember the first time I saw him I was like oh boy okay but when you start talking to him you realize he's his persona is different than the person that he is which I actually thought he was really nice when I got down there he had all these lamps out and all this gear and stuff out and we kind of went through gear and just a little you know brief tutorial what we were going to do the next day in Stony Point and that's where I met Alden. Alden was actually there. Alden was taking the class, but he was assisting Klaus because he had never taken a formal class before. So he, but he had knowledge because he had done canyons and he had done things on his own, but he never had formal training. But that's where I met Alden. And oh, before I'd done uh, at ATS, I'd had a book. I got ATS's book. And it was actually, I thought, pretty complicated. And I didn't know what I would do. You know, after reading that book, I was like, and I also took some REI classes, some climbing classes. So I took a simple climbing class, and then I took a rigging class, uh, a uh, anchors class through REI. I came out of both of those classes like, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge. They just It was like a fire hose on my mouth of knowledge, and I, it was just too much. It was like... You know, the anchoring for climbing is so much more redundant. There's so much redundancies and having to make yeah, sure that you this... have to worry about different forces. Right, yeah. exactly. And, uh, you know, as an engineer, I, I mean, I, I like that idea, but it just seemed like oh, this is dangerous. And like, I, I, I don't, I'm not competent. You know, and after the REI classes, all right, you guys are ready to go do some climbing. You know how to do some anchors. And I'm like, hell no. I was that know. at Stony Point? The yeah. Anchor class? Okay, yeah. Because yeah, I took that one a few years back as well. Yeah. So it would, at least it was a little applied. At least they didn't yeah. just hand you a pamphlet and expect you to figure it out. Right. This is what I thought because at the time I was trying to get into the AT- I wanted to do the ATS. This would at least get me familiar with the terminology. And they were cheap, 90 bucks. I learned after the climbing class that I didn't really like climbing because I have baby hands. It's from white collar. <laughs> white oh, collar you mean worker. baby? Uh, you mean baby yeah. hands as in soft hands? Yeah, I thought I, you meant baby yeah, hands as in yeah. tiny little girl hands like I have. Yeah, I just remember from belaying, my hands were bloody. 
after belaying really? the whole day. Yeah, yeah. Belaying for all the people that there for the REI climbing class. <laughs> I was like, my hands were a mess. Man, you got to toughen up those hands. <clears throat> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, uh, it was good for the ladies. <laughs> Velvet <laughs> touch. <laughs> so, uh, but the knots class really um, kind of made me think, I am not ready for this at all. I just, there's too much knowledge here, and I have to, it's going to take me time. When I went down to Klaus's class, I remember the first thing that we did is he had us repel, a repel that he does with everybody. And uh, it's, it's not an easy start, and it's steep. And I was thinking, don't we want to start on like a little rock or something? Was it on Beethoven? No, Beethoven's to the right. It's at the end of that, so you know where that tree is, right, where they are. And then Beethoven's right off of there, right, where the Uh tree is. It's down that ridge to the end. There's that pile of rocks there, and he does that one where you go down the crack, right, which is off to the side. And then there's the one that you go off the side there. He always does Mm. that one. It's like, oh, my God, can't we... Can we do a soft toss first? But no, he's yeah, like, is the thought is that it's just a little more difficult to start that, so it's just to get you used to that or I don't know what his thought was. Like when I was teaching my girlfriend, I started her on a rock. You know, like just a gentle grade. Mm-hmm. So that she could get used to using the device, you know, which I thought being a teacher, I, I'm I'm always you know, you, you you structure your goals, you start kind of soft and then you work your way up. Klaus is more of a you're yeah it's the water's deep you're getting in go you know which that has its own merits too you might as well uh, he's got a plan if i start too soft we're not going to get through the material that we need to get through so you're saying he's a throw the baby in the pool yeah Yeah. that's what he is and uh, listen that's i'm not uh, degrading that idea that's it it was it worked for me i I was scared to death to do because i'd never done anything like that and where i'm under control you know uh that class when i got done that day the first day was all about repelling and uh, we did beethoven we did all the others and we did actually went off of a knot i actually have this great picture of alden where we're going off a knot chalk he made a knot put it in a crack and then we were repelling off of this. And I have the picture I have of Alden on my phone is his, his look, which is just classic. Is this it. next to the bikini pictures that you yeah, have right, of yeah. all on your phone? Of course. Yeah. Is it in the Alden folder with all the Alden's birthday? Alden's. So this is, this is the, our, my first day of canyoneering with Alden. And Alden's going off a notch. Check out. I just love his eyes where he's like, we're actually doing this. <laughs> like we're going off a knot, you know, just a knot by itself. So everyone understands I'm looking at a photograph that you can't see <laughs> and that you won't be able to see. And the, and the Alden person we're talking about is a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And, but it works on a podcast, And right? Scott is in love with him. <laughs> but that's not his feeling. Right. So, it's very uh, complicated. So I got done with that day, and I was uh, really jazzed about the class, and I didn't think the knowledge on that particular day was all-encompassing. We learned all the devices, Piranha, all, all the other little devices that he had there, and we learned how to use them. We did a munter, and uh, we did little things where we did self-rescue. So everything was uh, based on repelling. So I was uh, impressed with how Klaus did his class. He's very logical, very German. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, very pragmatic. I thought a lot of the stuff was very um, to the point. We did a lot of knots on the first day, which can be a little overwhelming also. I think he actually does too many knots uh, for the first class. He had a lot of knots. 
you know, he was trying to be all encompassing, which is good. You know, you, here, here's all the knowledge. Uh, now you go out and if you want to know this, go on YouTube. Now you can look at it and go, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, the second day was a lot harder because uh, it was all about anchoring, which if you think about it, that's really the nuts and bolts of canyoneering. I mean, that's where you can die is by not being able to do an anchor. Repelling is is can be pretty easy. I mean, that's the easy part of canyoneering, really. Right. Unless you introduce hydraulics or some, right, some weird additional. Right. Yeah, but in and of itself, right. it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's not something that you'd really have to, in my opinion, you really have to do some screw-ups to mess up on repelling or something happens to you. You know, or you untie a knot. Well, and then... yeah, but even but even then, right? I've but, heard I've heard of, right. I've heard of a guy who did that. Yeah, but but I'm talking about the actual act of repelling. You know, when you're on. There, yeah. Right. So, um, but the next day anchors. That's where that's where it gets serious because you have to be able to assess these things that you're going to go off, which are dangerous. You have to know. You have to be able to build it. But having no experience with anchors themselves and after taking that climbing class, it just seemed like, wow, that's not a whole lot. It seemed very simplistic, very minimalist. And I was a little worried about that idea. Obviously, since then, you know, I'm not as worried about it. I've gone off a lot of different uh, canyoneering anchors, and I feel very uh, strong about all, you know, the ones that I've gone off and what we do but at the time i was like oh really this little piece of webbing webbing is a funny thing because i remember that as one like now i don't even think twice about mm-hmm. webbing but i do remember the first time i ever repelled or anything off of webbing and for anyone who doesn't know what webbing is it's basically what like nylon that's sewn together mm-hmm. into kind of a flat tubular shape and it just looks so thin but it's ridiculously strong. Right. Yeah, and when you first get started and you look at that, <laughs> I don't think anybody trusts it. No. Before you know it, you trust it with your life all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of, for me, it just seemed like I'm not prepared. Again, that's how I felt. I'm just not, I didn't know enough. And But I think that's kind of the feeling. I, I'm sure a lot of people who are green, you know, and are just inexperienced, you're going to feel the same way. You know, so that's anytime I get in a canyon with newbies, I really try to, I, I understand how, that feeling. It's easy to forget it too after, right. you know, a year or so. And then you just kind of take for granted that you look right. at a ledge and you step over it and you don't think twice and there's no right. problem. And then you see a new person having that issue and then you remember, oh yeah, I remember the first time I did this. Yeah, I was not happy. It was difficult to make myself yeah. do this. Yeah. yeah. And then Alden and I planned the next weekend to do LSA. So we went out and did LSA together because he had done it before. And we became friends while we were there. And I really like Alden. You know, I think he's a a very genuine person. And we had similar interests. And there were only three of us in that class, (laughs) which you think about classes, classes now. So we got a lot of one-on-one attention and a lot of time to talk. And uh, Alden and I just hit it off. And I thought, well, this would be, I was looking for people to be able to do this activity with. So I'm networking while I'm there too. And there were only three of us. And uh, Alden was the only one that was local. And uh, he seemed to have a lot more knowledge than I did, that's for sure. So I thought, okay, I I can get to know this guy so we can start doing stuff. So he uh, said that we could do LSA. And I remember my first, that first repel in LSA. It's kind of slippery. I didn't know what shoes to use. You need good shoes. So when I bought my shoes, 
because uh, I didn't know. Like LSA, I was like, do I need a wetsuit? Do I need a, you know, maybe back in the day? You yeah, did. I mean, years ago, the <laughs> yeah. answer to that was yes. I was telling, oh, do I need a wetsuit? What do I need to go? I had no idea what I needed. I had a rope. I had a figure eight. That's what I was using. I had a harness. I had bought a scuttlebutt because Klaus had a scuttlebutt in his class. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. I'd actually had a harness for the climbing class. And I had actually torn the straps on one of the backsides. Yeah, and a, a scuttlebutt is essentially just a big fabric diaper that goes over <laughs> your, your butt and your, yeah. your harness so you don't trash them trash ridiculously the quickly. Yeah, or your one pants. Thing, one yeah. thing you will do in canyoneering very quickly is trash gear. Yeah, destroy everything. Yeah. Well, I just remember the shoes that I had were these Merrells that were uh, made for barefoot trail running. But there, you know, there's this movement for people not to wear socks. They love just to go in their barefoot. Yeah, yeah. This right. is probably back in the big Vibram Five Fingers right, days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I didn't want those. I thought those shoes looked ridiculous. <laughs> I had some of those. They're actually <laughs> kind of cool. I, I used them enough until they just fell apart. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I got the Merrells, and, uh, but the problem is they were not sticky at all. I felt very unsure all the way through LSA. Very unsure about my footing. It was awesome. But I was constantly uh, just feeling like I was going to fall. In LSA, you know, what's the biggest rap? Like 40? It's a good beginner one for that yeah, reason. It's yeah, it's perfect. So, I mean, none of, the, none of it was ultra scary. But I couldn't imagine doing something that required, you know, like let's say it was a 120-foot wrap or something like that. With those shoes, I would have been scared to death. But 40 feet, you know, it's like, you know, I don't think I'm going to die here, but I, I could get hurt pretty badly the shoes were a big issue in fact right after that i bought some really good shoes that first day it's like a whole world opened up for me like after that i was just so happy and i i I thought that alden and i really were getting along during that day so i thought man this is somebody i trust and that's really important too you know you have this kind of idea about people who are adventurers people who seek adventures can be reckless Actually, I found the opposite to yeah. be the case. But it's a huge time, misconception. Exactly. Yeah. You the, don't, the people who are reckless, no one goes out with. That's right. That's right. But you have this idea that that's the way people, oh, they're going to do all this weird stuff. And no, all the people I know are very measured. In fact, I don't think I've ever met anybody that I consider to be reckless. Somebody that just makes really, really bad decisions. And bad decisions get made, but it's not because it was their mistake. It was a group mistake or we just didn't see it or whatever. It was an accident or something happened, you know. But luckily I haven't had anything major happen. But I've been very happy with the people that I've met. Very measured, very humble too. You You get this idea that, these people are otherworldly and like like these huge like comic book figures in a sense. So. People tend to be varied in their personalities also. Right. Like there's probably a misconception that a very particular type of person is the kind of person to get into that. Right. And that's not necessarily true. No. I wouldn't consider myself, you know, this ultra adventurer, but I do have an adventurer spirit. I do have that. And I want to try things. And I... I still am very apprehensive about certain activities that I do, but I I feel that if I go at them with a smart mind and that I'm very logical about what I do and I surround myself with people that are skilled, the likelihood of something happening to me, that that definitely diminishes. All of life is about risk management. Every time you do anything, you're managing some sort of risk. Yeah, you get in a car. 
Right. <laughs> and so something like canyoneering, sure, there's risk in it, but all that risk is managed. That's why you get instruction. That's why you practice. Right. And that's why you research what you're doing before. And that's why you choose the people you go with right. and don't just go with anyone. Right. And it's funny, and we had had this conversation. I I think canyoneering was the last straw in my, my previous marriage because I believe my ex-wife thought I was being reckless and uh, maybe going through some sort of midlife crisis. For me, it wasn't, I didn't call it a crisis. It was something I've always wanted to do, and I just never did. Right, it was something delayed. Yeah. That's right. And, I mean, you can call it a crisis in a sense. It's just it wasn't the right time before. I would have done it in my 20s. I would have loved to have done it in my 20s. But there just wasn't an avenue for that, you know. You know, the idea that's reckless. It's not reckless. I've seen people in Zion First time, oh, I'm canyoneering, doing like a 150-foot wrap, you know, with people they just met that day. Uh, that's not me. I'm anything but reckless. I learned. I, I took a class. I, uh, Sounds like you took multiple classes. Right. I took lots of classes, yeah. I prepared myself. When my ex-wife, her attitude towards it, I was thinking, I'm not being reckless. I'm being very safe. I'm measured. You know, I'm not. You think the activity is because... You, you're not part of it. You don't know what's going on. You just say, well, you're crazy. I know that I'm not because I've seen people who are brand new to the sport and getting out there and doing things that I would never have done on my first time, the first time. You know, I'm a person who I'm going to learn everything and then I'm going to go out. That's the kind of person I am. So, so what do you think you've gained from it? It is something that has uh, awakened my soul would be the best way that I can say it. I think it is something that has really uh, awakened me. And um, I felt it when I actually uh, went to Blue John Canyon. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I went with a bunch of friends. When we went there, because I had planned this trip. And uh, shortly after I met Mal uh, Alden, I met Mark. And uh, I had told Mark about, I want to go to Blue John. And he said, oh, I want to go there too. Yeah, let's, let's plan this trip. So it was literally a year after that that we actually went. Blue John Canyon is, it's, it's a nothing. It, it only has significance because of the accident that occurred there. But rarely people go and do this canyon. And, and after doing... It's, it's primarily a hike, right? It's yeah, more it's a hike than a technical canyoneering yeah, trip. If I remember correctly, I think it's 12 miles altogether most of it's hiking and very little technical parts and the only reason to go there is curiosity right but for me it was it was more than that you know i'd i'd shown this video probably for 10 years in my class and it had been a dream for me to go there and everything that i had been doing up to that point was just to get me there that was number one goal of all the canyons that there are and there's so many beautiful and wonderful canyons um, that was my number one that i wanted to do and so Conrad's like, yeah, okay, let's go do this. And Mark's like, yeah, let's go do this. So I planned the trip for us to go there. I'd never camped out in the middle of nowhere. And if anybody's ever been out there, it's, you know, you get on a dirt road and just go for a couple hours and then you camp, you know, out at Motel 6 out there, you know. And uh, I remember getting there. It was uh, crowded. There's lots of people there. At first I was kind of disappointed. Like uh, I was kind of hoping for a kind of a wilderness experience. But then... I quickly went, this is cool. These are, these are people that like the same thing that I like, and they are here. This is why, that's the only reason to be there is because they enjoy this as much as I do, which means 
I'm going to meet as many people as I can. So we did the canyon. I remember standing on that rappel, and it was one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. It was an awakening feeling where I had a goal. I had no idea how I was going to accomplish that goal, which is I wanted to stand here. That's all I wanted to do was stand here. And I had no idea what tools, what knowledge, or how I was going to make that happen. And to make it happen through your effort is... Uh, empowering. I'd, I'd done so many other more technical and demanding canyons, even leading up to that. And this was, you could think of it as a anticlimactic, right? But it wasn't. It was the pinnacle. I don't think any canyon will ever surpass the feeling I had on that place where I was standing and just realizing that I had done it. You know, I'm here. I did, this is my dream and I made it come true. And that's what it's given me. It's given me this insight to myself and who I can be and what I, you know, I'm not a a person that's not confident. I'm a confident person, but this was something way out of my comfort zone and that I accomplished that. And I was there with people that I genuinely loved and uh, because I had known them for the whole year and, and I was really happy to be where I was. It was just a great feeling. And I I can't wait to go back. But it's funny, while we were there, people would, people would say, what canyon are you guys doing? Oh, we're going to do Blue John. And they looked at us like, why? What are you doing that for? You know? like, oh, these guys saw 127 yeah. hours. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but and, and, and then they looked at you and they said, by the way, that swimming hole doesn't really exist. Yeah, Don't right, exactly. Yeah, it. All the stuff that was in the movie. I guess the movie was right when it came out. It was right around that time or a little bit before that. No, when we did some other canyons in that area, they were just beautiful. I mean, Robert's Roost is like a Disneyland for one-stop shopping for, for canyoneering. Yeah, even the canyons we did after that, which are Larry and not Mindbender, were just fantastic, wonderful canyons. But it just gives you kind of perspective on your life. And for me, I'm not a, a very spiritual person like we had talked, but I think that's about as close as I can get to kind of a spiritual nature, a feeling where I was, my place in the cosmos, or, or whatever it is. There is there is this great sense of satisfaction where it's something you've been building up to for a while. You're not sure if you can accomplish it, and then you do. I was just climbing earlier this weekend, just a little easy two-pitch route, and I was at the second pitch. This happens every once in a while where I have this sensation. As I'm building the anchor, it's a little simple anchor, I just had that thought that I have every once in a while, which is, man, when I was a kid, I never, ever imagined I'd be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Like I didn't even know that was something that was an option in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when I did uh, Rose Valley Falls. You know, it's a 250-foot rappel, the biggest rappel I've done to this point. And I don't like big rappels, but I was standing on that just going like, wow. I mean, what what am I about to do here? What am I doing? You know, like you would never, I, in my wildest dreams, right? I think, I think the other great thing that canyoneering has given me is um, I've met such great people. It's just given me a friend base that the best friends that I've ever had. Giving uh, fantastic, wonderful people. And I keep meeting them over and over again, you know, like more people. And every time I'm like, wow, these are just people that, they get me and I get them and there's like a really good relationship and I'd always played team sports you know basketball and softball and I play a lot of competitive softball this is a better team sport than than anything in fact 
I've gotten to the point where with my kids, I used to think sports were really good. I would much rather get my kids into something like this because I feel that I'm meeting a better quality type person and it's a team sport. Canyoneering is a team sport. I mean, there's people who do it by themselves and I look at them like, why? Why are you doing it by yourself? It's about a shared experience. That's what it is. I like going out with my friends and I like doing canyons. I've never done a solo canyon and I don't think I ever will. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. I do I do find just in general with outdoor stuff, you kind of build friendships pretty quickly because you have to depend on each other mm-hmm. and you see each other dealing with uncomfortable circumstances. Right. So it's in a sense it's almost like people are like emotionally naked mm-hmm. in front of each other right. and you have to trust the other people with your life to let you to <laughs> and, and just to see you that way. Right. Yeah. And then you and then you have to trust each other with your lives. And so you quickly find out who you get along with and who you don't. Right. And people, like, you, you build bonds and you build trust pretty quickly. So I definitely do find that a lot of my outdoor friends are the people that have got stronger friendships yeah, with right. as an adult. Yeah, and I think also the the activity is very visceral. I think it uh, makes a connection deeper. I, I know that I'm uniquely happier now than I was even three years ago. And I feel it even in my relationship that I have now, um, I kind of have a vision of the rest of my life. As before, I just think I was kind of going through the motions and not really doing the things that I wanted to do. Uh, But I just kind of fell into things. And this was the one where I measured it, and I did it, and I want to continue it. That, we could probably wrap it up now unless there's anything else you want to say or if you want to tell people where they could find I mean you don't have any kind of website or anything like that or anywhere you, not at I mean anything like that right school website I'm not going to give up my school yeah well, I figured, that's boring I stuff. Probably not. but I so if you go to playboy.com slash <laughs> Scott <laughs> well I'm just saying if if you're listening to this and you're not a person that <clears throat> is into canyoneering or something like that Fire yeah, trucks. Of course. <laughs> say, um, can you say something really deep right now, and then we'll get we'll cue the fire truck. <laughs> An unbelievable. Um, <laughs> that if you are, I would uh, I would definitely seek out Klaus's meetup, and uh, and if there's also Rich Carlson, I mean the ACA. There's lots of different avenues out there now. It just there's tons of uh, resources out there in order to get involved. And if you've thought that you can't, you can. There's no doubt about it. It's uh, and it's fun, and there's a lot of great people. And that was Scott Merrill. If you'd like to follow up on some of the things we discussed, stop by the website, gogetoutside.com. Look for the show notes in the podcast section. You'll find links to all the things we talked about, like Half Dome, Aaron Ralston, 127 Hours, that Go Canyoneering video featuring Alden, links to various canyoneering instructors, and you'll get to see photos of Scott in action, including the photo he's talking about of Alden and the Notchock. You can finally see what we spent so much time talking about on the podcast earlier. You want to get in touch with us at the show? You can do that. You can do that with email. Email go at butcherbirdstudios.com. 
You can do that with your telephone machine. You can call 818-925-0106. That is not my personal phone. That is not the Butcher Bird hotline. That is a Google voicemail specific to this show. If you call that, you have three minutes to leave us a message. Go ahead and do that. Are you subscribed to the show? Have you rated the show? Have you reviewed the show? Yes? No? Maybe so? Get on it. Stop by iTunes, Stitcher, however you digest this show. Stop by there. Make sure you are subscribed, you've rated it, and you've reviewed it. I'd love it if you give it five stars, but if you don't like the show and you want to leave fewer stars and explain what you hate about the show, hey, that's okay too. I'm all about honesty. We love honesty here at Butcher Bird Studios and the Go Get Outside podcast. We love you honest people, especially you honest people that honestly want to give us five stars. Next week, because I shouldn't drum roll on my leg. It's probably not the most efficient way to do this. Next week, Ches Brungraber, botanist, biologist, founder of Gobi Gear, world traveler, ultimate frisbeeist. Come back next week, Thursday. See ya. <laughs>